I went back and forth about opening with the story that I'm going to share here in just a minute because the story is kind of embarrassing and it's never easy to, to share those. Uh, when I was little growing up, we had two prayers, two prayers that we used to pray almost every day. One of them we would pray before we would eat d- dinner. We would pray, come Lord Jesus, be our guest and let these gifts to us be blessed. Amen. We pray that almost every, every day, right before supper. Well, and then before we went to bed, when we were kids, we would pray, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. When in the morning light I wake, show me the path of love to take. We didn't do the version that said, if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That seemed pretty morbid to teach little kids, you know. So anyway, that's not the embarrassing part. The embarrassing part came when I started to reflect back on when was the very first time where I prayed off script and saw something happen. When I was a sophomore in high school, it was actually the summer after my sophomore year, I had an experience of God that changed me. And one of the things that began to change within when that happened was I began to be drawn into the Bible. I had read the Bible uh, pretty, pretty faithfully as a, as a kid, but, but I was drawn in now, and I had a hunger to really learn from it. And when I, when I saw what the Bible said about prayer, it was very different than the way that I had been praying. And the, the way people around me were praying. I went to this very traditional little Lutheran church. And, and it was very, very different the way we prayed there. So that brings me to the story that it's kind of embarrassing. As I try to think, when was the very first time I actually tried prayer the way I was starting to see it in, in the Bible? So I was uh, a high schooler and I was working on our chicken coop. I grew up in a little, um, uh, a little farm outside of Hastings. And, and so I'm out there in our chicken coop. I was outside working on the section of the roof, and, and it was right next to the pasture. So there's lots of manure, therefore lots of flies. It was right in the middle of the summer, so I'm hot, and here are all of these flies. And not, these aren't just any flies. These were direct descendants of those flies that like, were cursed Egypt during the time of Pharaoh. And I mean, these are just horrible. So I've, so I've got all these flies are just swarming around me, and I'm trying everything. I'm trying moving. I'm, I'm trying swatting. I'm trying everything I can think of to get rid of these flies. And finally, I'm like... Out of the moment of frustration, I said, in the name of Jesus. I know I'd never seen this model before. I just saw it in the Bible, right? In the name of Jesus, flies be gone. And they were gone. And I was like, did that just happen? And in, and in the years that followed, as I began to pray differently, and as I got around people who were praying differently, there were things that I cannot explain other than God answered that prayer in that moment, immediately, in front of me. Now, while that was happening, as I was seeing that God answers prayer, I was also watching my father die of cancer. How do you reconcile the two? That's what we're going to press into today. How do you reconcile these two things? That I, I, can't, I could not deny by that point that God didn't answer prayer. I could not deny that. And why didn't he answer the prayer that I longed for most? In one of the books that we've been recommending throughout this series, Philip Yancey writes this. He says, I believe in prayer and its power to change both people and events. Nevertheless, when I hear a person describe a remarkable escape from an airplane crash, I cannot help thinking about the people who died in that same crash. Many of them praying just as fervently. I struggle with the inconsistency of those apparent answers. And we included this next quote at the top of your notes. We have a note sheet that we give each week, and I put this one in in print because I think it's so true. Of all of the activities in which a Christian engages, 
which are part of the Christian life. There is surely none which causes so much perplexity and raises so many problems as the activity that we call prayer. So here's what I'd like to do in the time. We want to be as helpful as we can as a church. And in the time we have left together, I want to try to do three things. I'd like to start by giving you four anchor points that we can anchor to in these times where things don't make sense. And then um, we're going to be hearing from um, Brian Heyer, whose family for years have been in a situation where things don't seem, at least in our human minds, to make sense. And then we're going to close with a song that has been an anthem of hope for generations. I literally had goosebumps when they were rehearsing that thing this morning. It's a powerful, powerful song. So we got a lot to cover today. Let's dive right in. There's a place to write this in your notes. I said we'd have four anchor points. Here's the first one. The problem of unanswered prayer is personal. Why is that an anchor point? Because it's not a philosophical problem. You don't have to say, I have to choose between reason or God. You can choose both reason and God. There are those who claim that unanswered prayer presents a philosophical problem. Here's an example of someone who believes that, and he's a philosophy professor. As one philosophy professor put it, if God can influence the course of events, then a God who is willing to cure colds and provide parking spaces, I would add to shoo away flies, but is not willing to prevent Auschwitz and Hiroshima is morally repugnant. Since Hiroshima and Auschwitz did occur, one must infer, says this philosopher, that God cannot or has a policy never to influence the course of worldly events. With all due respect, this is ridiculously flawed logic. And on the back of your notes, I'm not a philosophy guy, but on the back of your notes, I was able to come up with at least 12, a dozen different reasons why this logic is not sound, why we can have both reason... We can embrace both reason and we can embrace the God of the scriptures. I just put it there in print because we have so many things I want to dive into today. But I just wanted to address the big elephant in the room, one of the big elephants in the room, and that is that unanswered prayer, it's not a philosophical problem. It's not a philosophical problem. But here's the thing. God didn't just give us a mind that can reason. God also gave us hearts. And I think that's why... There's a problem because our hearts can't get around this. Our hearts can't get around this. While our God-given minds may be able to acknowledge that God's ways are higher than our ways, our God-given hearts cry out, don't they? Won't we cry out with questions? Questions like, God, you are the great physician. Why then do so many of our prayers for healing go unanswered? Our hearts cry out like this, God, you're righteous. Why then do so many prayers of those who are being abused and those suffering from injustice, why do those prayers go unanswered? And God, you have power over nature. Why then do natural disasters claim so many lives? And if you're a loving father, why are there so many times where I'm crying out to you and I cannot hear your voice? There's times where those deeply personal questions are very, very real, and we can't just dismiss them because we can intellectually figure out constructs that work. Well, if you're asking questions like these, you're in good company. Uh, Here's a a quote that I agree with. Um, Philip Yancey writes this in his book. He says, I challenge skeptics to find a single argument used against God by the great agnostics, Voltaire, David Hume, Bertrand Russell, that's not already included in the Bible. The Bible itself wrestles with these questions and invites us to do the same. Let's look at an example. If you have your Bibles with you, let's open up to Psalm 13. 
Psalm 13, verse 1. And one of the interesting things about the book of Psalms, it is right there in the middle, isn't it? You open up your Bible, and right there in the middle, you have this, this collection of poems and songs that we call the Psalms. And so many of them contain these questions that many of us have. If you don't have a Bible, we want to make sure that you know that we, we keep a stack there um, each and every week. They're there for you. Please take one home as a gift when you go. But here's what it says in Psalm 13.1. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? This is one example of many where the Psalms themselves invite us to ask these questions. And there's a place to write this in your notes. Here's another of these anchor points. When these times come and our, and, and our minds have trouble wrapping around them and our hearts have trouble wrapping around them, the Psalms provide a precedent for honesty. When those times come, know that you can be honest with God and with his people. Approaching God is not like addressing the great pumpkin. You know the great pumpkin at Charlie Brown show, right? Linus is in the most sincere pumpkin patch he can find, and, and he's nervous because if he lets the wrong thing slip out, the great pumpkin's going to pass him by if he questions his faith in the great pumpkin. God is not like that. One of today's key takeaways is this. You can be honest with God. You can be honest with God. The Psalms provides precedence for that. And millions of people throughout history have been drawn to the Psalms during their darkest moments, in part because I believe we can relate to those emotions that we see there. Emotions like, God, I don't understand. We see that in the Psalms. God, I'm scared. We see that in the Psalms. God, I'm angry. We see that in the Psalms too. Here's an example, Psalm 22, verse 1 says this. My God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? You can't say that to the great pumpkin. Who can you say it to? God. I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles open, keep a bookmark on Psalm 22. We're going to come back to it in just a minute. But first, I encourage you to write this down. The Psalms provide a precedent for honesty, and Paul's thorn provides a precedent for mystery. There are going to be times where we just don't know why. An argument can be made that besides Jesus himself, Nobody did more to advance the Jesus movement than a first century believer named Paul. And yet in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes this, A thorn was given me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And here we have an example from Paul that reminds us of sometimes the answer isn't as simple as what we talked about last week, where sometimes there is a clear thing that's blocking us in our prayers. Other times it's not that simple. And there are people in this room, and there were people in the room before you who we know, people we love, who've done what the Bible says to do. They've searched their hearts. They've asked for God's forgiveness. They've turned to God with faith and expectation. They've gathered two or three or dozens of people to gather and agree with them in prayer. They've come before the elders and they've been anointed with oil. And yet, the prayers aren't, aren't answered the way we'd hope that they would be answered. In those moments, remember that you've got a precedent in the Psalms to be honest, remember you've got this example where sometimes we don't know the reason why. And also may I add this. There's a place where this in your notes too. The quote, unanswered prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane provides a firm foundation for hope. Gethsemane, if you're not familiar, that's the garden where Jesus prayed. 
on the night of his betrayal. And it's where Jesus, the perfect son, appealed to his perfect father, let this cup pass from me. And three times the answer was, no. There will be times. If you're a sincere follower of God, there will be times. That's going to happen with you. Where you pray with sincerity, God, let this pass from me. And the answer is no. And it doesn't make sense. And it's in those moments we can anchor we can anchor to a God who cares because of the example of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can know that we know that we know God cares. There is no greater act of love. This isn't philosophical. This isn't God saying, just trust me and I'll give you some words. There is no greater example than he could offer than to give his son than to lay down his life. And here's another thing about the example of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we know that evil doesn't win. When we were singing that song earlier, Death is Arrested, I can't remember what the line was, but, but there's this line where you kind of get that smirk on your face when you think about what the devil intended and what actually happened, right? And sometimes you've got to have that little fire in your belly. And here, I said Psalm 22, we come back to it. Let's take a look. Psalm 22, check this out. Okay, so Psalm 22 is that, that uh, psalm that we gave you earlier where someone is being honest, the psalmist is being honest, and they, they say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we find out that Jesus... He says that from the cross, doesn't he? Jesus says that. He quotes Psalms, Psalm uh, 22 from the cross. Well, there's many theologians who believe that the reason that Jesus cried that out from the cross was because that was the moment when our sins came upon him and God turns his face from Jesus. That may or may not be true. I, I, I won't debate that. But here's what I know. I know that there were people at the foot of the cross who knew Psalms. And if they knew Psalms, they would have heard that that's Psalm 22. Look what they find when they go to that psalm that Jesus is praying from the cross in this moment when humanity is crucifying their creator. And it looks like Jesus is being abandoned. Also in Psalm 22, we find this. Psalm 22:16. They have pierced my hands and my feet. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus was on the cross. He's quoting the same psalm where you find that. Verse 18, they divided my garments among them for my clothing. They cast lots. What happened on the cross? At the foot of the cross. That was, you begin to realize, wait a minute. While it looks like evil is winning, there are all of these things that were in play that are beyond our, our understanding. And listen to this. Verse 24, even as Jesus is crying out, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Verse, psalm 22, the same psalm. Verse 24, he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Verse 27, and all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you, for the kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. Somehow, in the midst of the most evil act ever done in the history of the world, the crucifixion of our creator, even in that, somehow, God is at work. Evil doesn't win. And not only that, on the cross, we, we see not only that evil doesn't win, but a new reality is coming. We see that in Jesus. A new reality is coming. When Jesus walked the earth, we saw the love of God and the tears of compassion that he wept for Mary and Martha, but we saw more than that. We saw what happens when the kingdom of God comes to earth and it's embodied perfectly in a person. 
we see that all around Jesus, there are these signs of the kingdom yet to come. We see that people are healed. We see brokenness made whole. We see captives set free. We see sight restored to the blind. We see liberty proclaimed to those who've been oppressed. And we see in Jesus that he disrupted every funeral he attended. Even death doesn't win, does it? Even death doesn't win. And then get this, according to Romans 8.34, right now Jesus is at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us. He's interceding for us. God is for us, not against us. In these dark moments, we need to anchor to those things. Again, there will be times, there will be times where we have our garden moments where we pray and we cry out, God, God, let this cup pass from me. And we come to the place then where we say, not my will, but thine be done. And that doesn't have to be empty. That doesn't have to be shallow. Because we can remember, we can anchor to the fact that we don't have to, to throw away reason to embrace faith. We can remember, we can be honest with God. We can remember sometimes we're not going to be able to answer the why questions. And we can remember that we have a firm foundation for hope. So there's the textbook response for today. But we want to give you more than textbook because this calls for more than textbook, doesn't it? When we're going through these things. So let's get personal. And I'm so thankful, Brian, if you want to come on up, I'm so thankful that Brian Heyer is willing to open up his life to share some of what's been going on for them for the last 15 years in, in their house. And one of the reasons is Brian's getting into place. I'll say some things about Brian that he would never say about himself and his family. Um, one of the things that's always important to me is I, I, as best as we can, we never want to put people in front of you who are exaggerating or people who are not who they claim to be. And I've known Brian for probably about 20 years. And so I've been able to see him. I've been, I've been your home. I know every one of your family. You know, I, I knew Emily as she was a, a teenager in youth group. And now Rachel, your other daughter, is leading my daughter, Andra, in youth group, which is just so cool. And then certainly your wife, Joyce, um, of, of the people that I most respect on this planet. She's right up there at the top of the list. And so this is a man who I've seen, he, he understands prayer. In fact, I want to encourage you, um, I know your time is going to be really limited, but if you want a resource on prayer, someone who, who understands prayer, this is a great person to talk to. And not only that, he's seen answers. They've seen answers to prayer. He's been on our prayer team for about how long? You guys, three, were, four years. three or four years. And you guys saw, you saw miracles happen. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and we, like one of the times I was in my office on a Saturday night and he was praying with some people downstairs and, and they came up and, and I said, so how'd it go? It might've been Mary Lochner. And, uh, and she goes, um, seven people were healed. Like, it sounds like it went pretty well, you know? And, and Nate, Nate, can you just raise your hand up here? Nate, there was another time where, where we were closing out a service and Brian handed me a little sheet of paper and said, I feel like we're supposed to pray for somebody's wrist. And so I had to make a decision in the moment. Am I going to say, hey, if someone's got a wrist thing, pray with Brian? Nate took Brian up on that. And you can ask Nate. He's right there. You can ask him. What happened when you prayed? So here's a person who I, I, I know your character and your heart. He's not a guy who exaggerates. We've seen God answer prayers, mir miracles through you and mm -hmm. Joyce. And do you want to share a little about the journey that you've been on now for the last 15 or so years? Sure. Uh, Joyce, my wife, 15 years ago this Easter was diagnosed with a, a 
heart disease, uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And the same day, a day apart, our daughter Emily was was diagnosed with it. First generation, it's a it's a it's a genetic disease, so 50-50 chance of of passing it on. But no one before Joyce in any of her generations before had it. So this is a first generation thing. So for 15 years, we've been um, working through that um, at almost every turn in her walk through this disease. Um, it's been kind of a worst case scenario. So if you take a look at the, uh, what the disease could mean as far as how it affects your life, it, it's been Joyce kind of being almost an outlier, like if, if it could happen, it would happen. So for all those years, 15 years of, of prayers for that, um, in 2014, in, in January 2014, she started to wake up in the morning with her right hand feeling what term she used is paralyzed, where for, for some time she, she couldn't move it, and then, and then when she could, it would be kind of clumsy for a while, and then it would kind of go away. And so that continued, you know, with some regularity uh, in 2014. 2015, um, it it kind of accelerated um, in 2015 in January. She started having trouble speaking, a little bit of trouble speaking. She's a very fluent, very articulate person. And so um, in 2015 and 2016, we ma made a number of trips down to the Mayo Clinic. Um, they determined early on that it was neurological. And, you know, beyond that, they didn't want to give any any what it is at that point. As, it, as the trips continued down there and she continued to have more manifestations of this disease with it spreading to her left hand and to her voice and then uh, to her walking, it became clear that it was probably in the category of two things, ALS or PLS. ALS, as most of you are, would be really familiar with, PLS is very, very rare. I mean, maybe like one in one in two million. So it, it's it's when when you have a very rare disease, they take a long time before they say settle on it because it's just because it's so rare. They don't want to they want to eliminate every every other possibility. So in our final trip down there, he, they said, you know, we're going to call this PLS. Um, they usually wait three years before they give that diagnosis. And I asked the doctor, knowing that we are going to transfer up here for shorter trips um, because all they could do, all they could do is just monitor it. There's no drug regimen. There's nothing they can do to slow it down. There's nothing they can do to, to, you know, make it easier. And I asked the, the neurologist, the head of the department, as we were nearing the end of the appointment, I said, have you ever seen somebody that was cured of either ALS or PLS. And he looked at me and he said, it's not possible. It, it, it's, a, it's a degenerative brain disease that there is no cure and, and it's not possible. And I shared a little bit about our faith and I looked at him in the eye and I said, we'll be back mm. when, when they cure, when, when, she is, when she is healed. 
we'll be back. Mm -hmm. And so that day has not come yet, but we will be back to the Mayo Clinic. Um, presently, the last uh, year or so, she's um, lost the ability to speak. Um, all of her feeding is done through uh, a, a tube into her stomach. She can't chew or swallow. She takes nothing through her mouth. She doesn't take a sip of water without, you know, spitting it back out. There's she she can't swallow. So um, her hands are. She can do a little texting, but beyond that, there's very little she can do with her hands. She uh, uh, has very difficult time walking and so she she can walk a few feet with a walker but most of their day is spent in a chair or in a wheelchair and 24 sevens we have people with her i work three days a week and and the other days that we i'm not working we have friends that come over and just stay with her and attend to her uh, needs you know helping her with everything if you think of everything in a day that you use your mouth for your hands for your feet for and thinking of, okay, what do I do that doesn't involve any of these things? It's it's basically everything she needs help with, except her brain. Her brain is yeah. she's she has her brain is is very sharp. She has a fantastic memory. She remembers things that our family doesn't remember. She recalls names from twenty years ago. She's but it's she has no voice. So that, that, that's the present state. Um, one of the things that God has rallied around her is a number of people who hear from the Lord. And, and when they hear from the Lord about Joyce, the Lord impresses upon them, share this with Joyce. And the message has remained that she will be healed supernaturally she'll be healed and and every time there's a word of hope it's given so that Joyce gets that message that she keeps her her hope up herself and her faith up herself and you know the, the messages are even you know that this is going to happen many most people who are believers aren't are going to just not believe it's going to even happen when it happens but I'm telling you in advance so that when it happens, don't be surprised. So that's, that's kind of the present state of, of, of Joyce. Mm. When we were talking in my office, um, you used that phrase that I ended up just writing down. You said um, how faith is often forged in the fire. Can you share a little bit more about that with, with all of us? Sure. Um, Hebrews 11.1, 1, if we have a slide that comes up, um, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, full, and, and the conviction of things that are to come. That whole chapter is just a chapter of, of faith, but it, it's, it's very poignant, especially for me. As, as the chapter increases and, and the stories get shorter, you just see men and women subjected through circumstances to all kinds of suffering. And a lot of times the suffering is for their faith, but in all cases, that suffering and, and that adversity is, is used to build their faith. So for me, you know, that f my faith, I, I think in my DNA, the way God 
you know, wired me. And in Romans 12, it speaks to, to each is allotted a measure of grace, to each is allotted a measure of faith. I think in my DNA, I have, I have pretty high faith. But it, it, it's, it's, it's not being tested, but it's being purified. It's mm-hmm. being, it's being, so, you know, for me, faith is forged in the, in the furnace of adversity, I would put it. Because through adversity, we really start to understand, do you trust me? Do you believe me? And for me, in my, in my walk with God, I, 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 I know Scripture fairly well, and I, I know a lot of the things that God tells about himself in his word. And when God says something about himself... That's an attribute that we know of God. And when we go through things like this, and there's out there many people, you know, with with struggles and health and marriages and, and children who have who have walked away and, and so many things. We need to understand that what God says about himself is still true. He's trustworthy, he's faithful. He's gracious. He's good. He has our our interests in his mind, and and he wants to prosper us. And so I'm, I'm I look at all these promises, and if I say I don't know if he's faithful anymore in my life, if if that if that's a place where I rest, I'm in real trouble. Because who, what else isn't true about God? If you start questioning God, then then, then you're in real trouble. If you look at the Gospels, when, if you want to see Jesus riled up, it's because somebody is misrepresenting God or is questioning something that God has said. And so Jesus was really hard on the Sadducees and the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders and those who questioned or didn't understand who God really was. But he was very gentle on those who were saying, help me, I, I don't believe like I should. He was very, very gentle with that. So for me right now, it's, 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 I'm trusting and I'm waiting. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember one of the things Joyce used to, to tell me and remind me of, as she said, you know, God is gracious. He'll let you if, uh, retake the test. <laughs> and this idea of, of saying, God, help my faith and help me to grow and help me to, to learn. Um, one of the quotes that we, we also have a slide with this one, um, speaks to this, uh, it, this whole idea of not jumping too quickly to thy will be done. That's part of the experience as well. Um, the quote says this, this Philip Yancey wrote this, Jesus prayed, your will be done. At the end of his struggle with God in Gethsemane, as a resolution to all that had gone before, including a clear request for another way out. If I become, or I have become convinced that the phrase your will be done belongs at the end of my prayers, not at the beginning. If I begin with that qualifier, I'm tempted to edit my prayers, to suppress my desires, to resign myself to whatever happens. I thus cut short what God wants from me, that I make known my requests, and in so doing, make known myself. And that's one of the things I see in your family, that you guys aren't just saying, well, it must be God's will for Joyce to suffer. It's not her will for God to suffer. We're in this situation of mm-hmm. suffering. So God is to continue to press in like you guys are doing, praying, God, what, what is your will? What are you doing? And, and how can we be faithful through it? And one of the things I really noticed, Brian, was when we were talking, Scripture. 
I mean, the thing I think that's probably giving more foundation than anything else I can think of is the word. Can you share just a little bit about the role that, that the Bible and Scripture has played in this journey that you've been on? Sure. It's, a, it's, it's the bedrock for more than two decades. Last one year, I've read the Bible cover to cover, and I, I'm not great at memorizing, but I'm really good at, at knowing where something can be found. Um, and, and the hardest year of 2017, which just passed of the, of the most decline of choice, was a year for me of holding on. I, I was very tired all the time. I, I was on call 24-7. I, I was either at work or at work. And, and the, at work at home was sometimes very difficult, um, sleeping two hours at a time, you know, and, and persevering. And in that year, it's, it's the first year in, in over two decades that I did not read the, the Bible cover to cover because when, when I had time when nothing else was required of me, I was so tired, I would just sleep. But because of the foundation of the scripture and, 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 the, and my faith and the combination of those two, it, it allowed this year not to be a year of, of walking away or, or questioning God. or you know, it, it allowed me, sure, I've had days of wrestling and, and, and wondering and all this, but it, it, those are so few and far between. Some of the things of of scripture that you know that you know just a few of them that are important to me is Job nineteen where it says where Job is is wrestling you know thirty chapters of wrestling and he says I know that my redeemer lives mm-hmm. and that I will see him face to face and and you move into the psalms you you mentioned psalm 22 which was very personal for me because i went in 2015 i went through my own uh battle with uh aggressive cancer and i i had that scripture in front of me on on middle of january 2015 after getting the results of my cancer and having all kinds of complications saying my god why have you forsaken me and I didn't get this answer right away of I have him forsaken you. In fact, what actually happened is, you know, I was waiting because 30 people or more were going to come into a room and pray over me. My my bladder let loose and I I, I sat in, in my jeans covered with urine and I called Joyce and said, Joyce, all these people are coming in like an hour. Can you bring another pair of jeans for me? And, and, and yeah, we, I got through the prayer time and same thing happened afterwards and then multiple complications it was okay it was okay it's okay when you feel forsaken it's okay because god will come into that and have something to learn so into the that's psalm 21 or psalm 22 psalm 23 the good shepherd you know psalm 32 one of my favorites you know how we are hidden in Christ. He is our hiding place. And he surrounds us with shouts of deliverance. Wouldn't you love to hear the shouts of deliverance that he has around our lives? 
as as these days turn into nights and and these days are so hard just moving psalm 91 that god is our great fortress and our protector psalm 103 where it says i will take care of i will heal all your all your diseases and infirmities psalm 104 where god describes his universe that he created all the animals and the stars and the sky you know psalm 119 most people avoid because it's the longest longest psalm in the bible and it's really hard to get through because it's like 130 some verses but nowhere in scripture does it use the word heart more than psalm 119. So if you read it and just take a look at what it says about heart, about your heart, and, 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 and moving on, Psalm 139, a psalm of such intimacy where God tells Joyce, I've created you in your mother's womb, and, and nothing can separate you, Joyce, from me. And he says that to all of us. Yeah, and then moving on to my favorite Old Testament book of Isaiah, where Psalm, Psalm 53 is just like Psalm 22, or Isaiah 20, 53 is like Psalm 22. It's line after line describing an event in the future which Jesus walked through, the crucifixion, and giving details like Psalm 22 does, to something that hadn't even been invented yet, the crucifixion. It's, it's beautifully prophetic. And, and Psalm 54, where God says, the mountains will be shaken and the hills will be removed, but my steadfast love will be with you forever, forever lasting. He's not going to remove his hand of love upon you. Psalm 55, where it's, or Isaiah 55, where it says, Come to me, come to me, come to me in the first series of verses over and over again. And then it says, seek the Lord why he may be found. And then God, it, 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 to me, it's, it's, like, it's like Romans 8. It's like a pinnacle of the Old Testament where God says, my thoughts are, and my ways are above your ways and your thoughts. It's higher than the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways above your ways. And then God describes how it's all going to work out when he says, everything that I have purposed, every word will come to completion. And we need to hang on to that. It's, it's you, know, in the, you know, without the scripture, without that bedrock, without all these ways that the Lord, you know, when I pray for people, when 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 I, I contemplate my own circumstances, the scripture's there. Mm. Well, that is a perfect transition into the last um, talk point on your outlines, and that is this. When your garden moments come, and they will come, many of you are going through them right now. When your garden moments come, and they will come, you don't have to walk alone. There is a God who's gone before us, and we have these scriptures where he's speaking to us continually. And then even as you guys have been ministering all these years for others, you're receiving, you've been experiencing even what, what's happening now is people have come around you and your family and you, you, you hear of God's love and you experience it, but also now you're seeing it through other people. 
giving it. You know, as a church family, we want to do the best we can to love one another. And that's one of the reasons why you're, we're, we're having a story like this where you can see you're not alone. It's one of the reasons why we believe so much in this small church that we're trying to continue to launch these groups where you can go and you can know and be known and have people that can come around you and really love you and you can love in return. It's one of the reasons we try to give you the best resources we can, those books that we put in there. We want to do the best we can. And we want to pray for you too as well. We want to do the best we can to know you're not alone in those moments. God is with you. We want to be as with you as you'll allow us to be. Well, we're going to close today. Brian, if you'd be willing to pray sure. for, for our congregation, I want to invite the worship band to come up. We're going to close with an anthem that has been bringing hope to people for years and years and years, for generations. In fact, when you go home, if you don't know the backstory to It Is Well, Google that. Google that. The, the, the older one, not the newer ones. Google the backstory to this song. It, it's powerful. So, Brian, will you pray for us? And then let's close with this anthem where we are going to cry out to God. Sure. One quick thing yeah. before I start to pray. Uh, one of the beautiful things that God is doing, so we have a lot of people at our house that come and help and minister to Joyce. One of the things that I've seen is the only thing that Job's friends did right in the book of Job. When they came, they saw the place he was in, and for seven days, they said nothing. They just sat. And so many, there's, there's so many stories in the last year of people who have come to our house and have just sat with Joyce. If God isn't directing you to say something, just be silent and just kind of just be there. Just be present. And that's, you know, and as, you, as the Lord brings people into your life to minister to, there's... Don't don't speak for God. Just just sometimes it is just okay to just be present well and be silent. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, you're reminding me of this of this in the second service, which wasn't in the first service, and it's from uh, Matthew or excuse me, Mark, um, chapter five, where this man comes up and and talks to Jesus about, you know, of, of this, what he's going through. And, and he said, Lord, increase my faith. And Jesus says five words that I think is, it's, it's a summary of all the Gospels. Do not fear, only believe. So as, as you pray for your children who have walked away or for your marriage that's, that's, that's on the edge or or for people in your life that are that are suffering and the world remember not the fear god's god's got this do not fear only believe so lord i ask that you 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 put faith and belief and 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 you just bestow it i know it's it's something that you give of Lord, so I ask that you give faith and belief, and just a sweet peace and confidence to those in this room, many in this room who are who are suffering, and and who are crying out. And you know, it's, for some, it's longer than this 15-year thing that I set forth. They're longer than that, but God hears and God is listening, and God will come in and do what he purpose, what he proposes what he purposes to do 
he's 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 not gone away. So just fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit that we may hear, that we may have peace, that we may be bold when the time is to be bold, and that we may be quiet when the time is to be quiet, and that that we would just join join with all creation which declares that you are good and that you are in control. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.